reading comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the reading of God's word. Well, I um, have a lot to do today, uh, not only here in service and after service for the congregation meeting, but um, we have a newcomer's dinner later, after, right after service as well. So uh, what I plan to do is we've been, we've been going over the, 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 the church, and, and last week we looked at what we call the Great Commission, and what we wanted to say is that the Great Commission is not first about missions, it's first about the church. And there are three things that we look for in a church. Is there's a discipling, generally speaking, uh, there's the sacraments, baptism, and communion, and there's the preaching and teaching of his word, basic elements of the church that I think a true church should be doing. But rather than continue the service, and, and I, what I really want to do is just for the sake of time, really do a, a, short, a short sermon on, on something else different, take a break from that, resume it maybe next week. Um, I decided to just to step away from it a little bit because it is something that I think we're going to come back to later on when we talk about what church ought to look like. And, uh, and so I thought this sermon is going to be uh, pretty simple, right, because uh, it's about love. You know, I, I don't do too many sermons about love because I kind of cringe when I think about it. Uh, it's so basic, isn't it? You heard so many sermons about love. You know that Christians are supposed to be about love. You know, you hear that word a lot. And, and so I was like, uh, you know, this is so, so basic. And, and so, but at least it'll be short. And so I thought maybe I'll do that. But as I looked at this passage, and unfortunately it's not going to be as short as I'd like, but still shorter, uh, it's a lot more complicated than I thought. At least when I talk about, or when I see here, it talks about Christian love, right? Christian love. And what we're going to do in this brief sermon is this. We're going to ask ourselves, what is love? What is Christian love? But secondly, to show you that Christian love is no two things. It's different. It's a little different. And secondly, it's also difficult. And this is difficult. And, and, and I don't mean it's not difficult for you. It's difficult for me. Um, and I struggle with this, even as a pastor uh, or as a person, 
and, and so this message is really for me as much as it is, I think, important for the church. What is love, right? What is Christian love? What, why, what is it, what's different about it and also what's difficult about it? Okay. In our passage that Youngjie just read for us, 27 times the word love is uh, written. 27 times in just you know, a handful of verses. And so as trite or cliche as it might sound to talk about love, um, it's important, uh, especially to the apostle John. John is uh, oftentimes called the apostle of love because he really talks about it, not just in his letters, but also in the gospel of John. And this is what he says in verse 8. He says, God is love. Right? God is love. What is love? God is love. And let me just give you a few verses uh, from, the, from the Bible, what I think that means practically. Okay? Uh, Pastor James did a sermon on love from 1 Corinthians 13. If you remember that Paul that talks about love and he says love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant, it doesn't insist on its own way, right? It's not irritable, resentful, you know, etc., etc., so on and so forth, right? So there, in 1 Corinthians 13, love is doing something. It's active, okay? It's not passive, it's not just passive, it's active, it's serving, it's doing something, right? That's that's one thing about love we see, okay, active. Second thing I see about this kind of love, God's love, it's not just about doing something, but it's also passionate, okay? It's passionate, it's active, it's passionate. And, and here's, it's, it's, there's an emotional aspect. Now, oftentimes I used to think emotions are for the weak, right? They come and go, but they're not unimportant, Emotions, I think, are not weak. Actually, they're, they're too strong because some of us are run by our emotions, by what we feel. They're strong. Emotions aren't unimportant. It's, uh, it's, it's very important. It's part of the package. And it's also for the definition of God's love. Romans 12, Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That word devoted uh, and love is translated literally tender affection. It's the only word in Romans 10 that talks like this about love. Tender affection. It's the command for believers to love one another. And, and, and we need to think about this because it involves feeling. All right? First definition of love is it's active. You're doing something. But another part of this love is it feels something for people. It's, to love someone doesn't just mean be nice to them. It doesn't just mean be civil to them. Oh, not even just do right by people. That's love. I mean, it's all part of it. But it's more. We are to feel an affection, a genuine affection for each other. First Peter 1 says the same thing. Fervently love one another from the heart. And so this is much more than treating each other well. It's something from the heart. It's something with fervor. There's something with affection. There, there's, there's a passion involved. Okay? So God's love, it's active. It's... it's uh, uh, passionate. Third thing I see in the Bible about God's love, it's sacrificial. Remember Abraham and Isaac, and God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? And what does that mean? It, Isaac wasn't just his son. Isaac was his whole future. Isaac was his whole life. And yet he obeys God and says, I'm going to put it on the altar for you. His whole life, his whole future, his only son. But the story goes, if you read Genesis, is that Isaac was spared. 
right? And it's amazing because I, you know, would never give up my son. I love my son too much to do that. Abraham was willing to do that. He was to make the sacrifice, yet Isaac was spared. But when you read our passage, what does it say? It says in verse 9 that the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. You see, Isaac was spared, right? It was a sacrifice of obedience, but God spared Isaac, but he did not spare his only son. The love of God is not just active, it's not just passionate, it's sacrificial. God gave up his son for us, right? Basic stuff, you know this. Uh, Just two more, gracious. Verse 10, in our passage, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 19 in our passage, We love because he first loved us. And this is what I want to say about God's love. He didn't say, Paul doesn't say, or uh, John doesn't say, well, God loved you because you loved him. God likes you because you liked him. No, it says you hadn't loved God, but then he loved you anyways. Verse 19, he loved you first before you did anything. And the thing we need to learn about God's love is that it's gracious. God's love is not payback. It's not reciprocity. It's not returning the favor. He didn't love us because we first loved him. He loved us first when we didn't love him. Before we did anything for him, it's gracious love. Okay? And the last thing about God's love I see in the Bible is not only is it active, not only is it passionate, not only, you know, is it um, sacrificial and gracious, it's also humbling. God's love is humbling. I mean, who is Jesus? The great shepherd, the king of kings, the master of the universe. And yet the king dies for his subjects. The shepherd dies for his sheep. The master dies for his servants. That's humbling. We don't have to do these, but he chose to. Right? So there you go in in a nutshell, just, just four or five characteristics of, I think, what God's love is. God is love, and it's active, it's passionate, it's sacrificial, it's gracious, and it's humbling. And it's Jesus. That's why John says, God is love. And this is why Christian love is, I think, different. Because when you look at our passage, there's a connection between being loved by God and loving others. So verse 7, beloved, which means you're loved, Love one another. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, let us love one another. You've been loved to love. You've been loved to love. And so the thing here is this. The motivation of this kind of love, the strength of Christian love, it doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from just trying to understand the person you're loving a little bit better or maybe get to know that person a little better so you can love the person better. I mean, that's part of it. But ultimately, Christian love, it comes from God. It comes from Him. It comes from understanding your relationship with God better, getting to know Him better so that you might love others better. You've been loved to love. There's a connection between how God has loved you and then how you are to love others, okay? You are to love others. How? The way God has loved you, actively, 
passionately, with feeling, sacrificially, graciously, and humbly to love others the same way. Now let me unpack this to you practically, okay? Um, there's a horizontal and then there's a vertical in every relationship, especially as a person of faith. What I mean is this. Oftentimes when you think about loving someone, when you think about engaging with someone, some group, some person, some party, you, it, it, it's just horizontal. It's just you and this person. But if you read carefully what we're saying, if God is love and you've been loved to love, in any relationship, there's not just two, there's three. There's three. It's you trying to relate to this person, and in the middle is God. It's God. And the way that's supposed to work is this. You can start with yourself. You look in the mirror. Now it's you and you. You look in the mirror, and if all you do is horizontally just look at yourself, there might be things you see that you just don't like about yourself. There might be things and failures and, 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 and sins that you see that you're, that's ugly. You might not even like the way you look physically, right? And that's all you see because that's the other person, which is you in the mirror, and it's horizontal. But the Bible here is saying is this. It's never just you and the other person. It's you, God, and the other person. So when God sees you, he doesn't see just a sinner or just someone who's struggling all the time or just someone who's not worth it. He sees someone that he loves. He sees someone that he gave his only son for. He sees someone that he's working in, in, in that person's heart and is growing them. He sees someone who has loved and been loved like no one else can. And so now the way I see myself needs to be interpreted through the way God sees me. That makes the difference. Now you put that same idea uh, with other people. And oftentimes we look at other people and we say, that person's hard to love. That person's difficult. I don't know if I could love this person, right? It's very hard. But if you know that by a person of faith, you've been loved to love, then it's never just you and this other person. It's not just horizontal, it's vertical. How do I love this person or how does God see this person? And I need to take that interpretation. Look, if you're a single guy and you're looking for a girlfriend, um, it's only horizontal. Is she cute, right? Is she attractive? Is she smart? Is she funny? Whatever. That's all you see. And the danger in that is all you see in other women is that you treat them as objects. But if there's a third party and there's God involved, and you've been loved to love, you can't just see the person horizontally. This person is not just someone who, you know, has chemistry with you. That person is also a child of God. How does God see that person? That person is also a daughter of God. That person is also a sister and daughter of Jesus Christ. You can't just treat the person like that anymore. Right? And so this is different. And this is why it's also difficult. Let me be honest. Um, as a pastor... I had two categories uh, of people in church and whoever I met. I had the friend category. The friend category are those people that you just naturally click with. Similar sense of humor, similar ideas, you get along with, you know, you, you like each other, you know, it's easy to hang out with them. They're in the friends category. And so in the church, I had people in the friends category. And the other category I call ministry. That's the work category. 
That's the category that you put people in because you know it takes effort, right? It, it's a little more draining. It's a little more difficult. It, it, we all have them, right? But pretty much that's how I, that's how I looked at it. Everyone it was either friend category or, or ministry category. Now you're probably wondering, I wonder which one I'm in, right? But, you know, it, it's friends or it's ministry. But here's the truth. If I only look at you horizontally, that's all I'm going to see. But if I understand there's God here in the picture, then how I see you needs to filter through how he sees you. And that means this. I realize this. Whether it's friends or ministry, there's only one category for God, and that's ministry. Every relationship is effort in God's eyes in order to love the way he has loved. Every relationship needs work. Friend or not, every relationship is ministry. And so I need to get into these relationships with the mindset that if I'm a person of faith, this is how God sees them, and it's work. And sometimes that work is hard and difficult, and sometimes it's a little bit easier. Right? If you don't approach people as ministry, whether your own wife, your own children, your own best friend, or anyone else, if you don't approach people this way as a person of faith, the only other alternative is manipulation. Let me just say this again. If you don't see people in your life as ministry, serving, working, you see them as manipulation. These are manipulative relationships. What do I mean? Um, you, know, you know what this is. You know, kids, you know, we do it all the time. Remember when you were younger and, and there was this kid in your school and you really needed something from this person? Um, there was this kid in my biology class, my AP bio class. Uh, nobody liked him, but he happened to sit next to me, all right? And um, I had gym right after that and I forgot my shorts. And, you know, and if I didn't bring my shorts, uh, I'd get penalized. And so I'm working on my 4.0, but... I'm going to get a B in gym because I didn't bring my shorts. And so I'm freaking out. And so this guy sitting next to me who nobody liked, he had gym before biology. So he had his gym clothes with him. Now he's a little different size. He was a lot more skinnier and and so on and so forth. But I begged him, can I borrow your shorts? Can I borrow your shorts? And, you know, he he knew he had the upper hand. And so why should I borrow it? And the only thing I could think of is this. If you let me borrow your shorts, I will be your best friend. Because in my head, I know you got no friends, right? And so that was my, that's what I'm bringing to the table. I will be your best friend. And he thought about it, and he thought about it, and he gave me his shorts. And so I got to wear his shorts. They were super tight, but it was, it was okay. You know, and so I had to kind of be his best friend for a long time. But it really wasn't a best friend relationship. It was a manipulative relationship. Right? It's manipulation. Ministry relationship says, I want to feed you. I want to serve you. If it's not that, it's probably a manipulative. Manipulative relationship says this, I want you to meet my needs. I want my needs to be met through you. I don't want to feed you, I want to feed on you. Manipulative love says, this is what I'm bringing to the table. What are you going to bring? What's in it for me? What are you going to do for me? Right? Think about it. Even in our you know, romantic and relationships, our dating relationships, our marriage relationships, if I, you know, every time I ask, you know, premarital counseling, why do you love this person? And oftentimes the answers are very practical, simple things. Like, 
because he's so cute. You know, she's so pretty. He's so supportive and kind. She does this for me. He does that for me. She's, she says these things to me. He says those things to me. She acts like this. She, she acts like that. You know what that, you, you know what I'm hearing? You're basically saying this person's useful. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, she's useful. She or he meets my needs, my wants, what I think I need, fits into my agendas. And now, these, all, all these things, they're valid expressions or reasons for love. But here's my point. If you look at what John is saying, if that is all there is, it might be you're going to fall short one day. It, that kind of love is only manipulative love. It's not going to be enough. How do I know this? Because as soon as your partner starts aging, as soon as your partner starts gaining weight, losing hair or teeth, as soon as he or she stops doing these things, acting certain way like when you were dating, saying certain things when you were, you know, in the beginning of your relationship, stop talking, fail in doing what you always wanted and that's the reason you wanted and failed in doing that, you're not going to feel the same way. And at best, you are short-sighted in your love. Your love is conditional. At worst, it's manipulative and it's transactional. It's just a transaction. This is what I do for you, you do it for me, and the moment you stop doing that for me, I'm not doing it for you. That's transactional. Right? How many of us have felt in any friendship well, you know what? I've put in this much in this relationship. I, I call this person. I text this person. I, I, I email this person. I meet up and I try to meet up with this person all the time. I put in so much effort in this relationship and I get back so very little. Forget it. I'm not going to waste my time. If that's you, it's probably a transactional manipulative relationship ministry relationship, ministry kind of love, says, I want to meet your needs. I don't want to feed on you. I want to feed you. And that's work. That takes effort. Why? Because for one, you don't always feel like that. You don't always feel like doing these things. But secondly, and here's the big thing, this kind of love, ministry kind of love, unlike manipulation kind of love, gets nothing out of it. There's no return. You're just giving, 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 and, and the expectation is there's nothing. They're not bringing much to the table in ministry love. So this is why Christian love is not only different, but it's hard. Because how does John say, the, how does the Bible say that God loved us? That he sent his son into this world as a propitiation for our sins. Well, when did God love us this way? Paul says in Romans 5 eight, while you were still a sinner... Jesus loved you. Christ died for you. While you were still a sinner. He didn't say, I love you while I thought you had some potential. He didn't say, I love you because I thought you were pretty cute. He didn't say, you know, while I thought you could pay me back a little bit, I loved you. I died for you. He didn't say, I died for you because I thought you might have some benefit for me. There was no expectation of return. 
Now, if the sinner word is just too Christian jargon for you, you could replace that sinner word with any other word. Look, while we were still jerks, Christ died for you. He loved you. While you were still selfish, Christ loved you. He died for you. While we were still hateful, Christ loved you. While we were still bitter and critical, Christ loved you. And, you know, when you love someone like that, there is no return. It's without condition. It's unconditional. It's undeserved. It's unmerited love. There's no guarantee of any payback. He brought this much to the table, but you're not going to be able to bring that much back. There's no way you can. You see that? God's love is difficult because it's not manipulative, uh, transactional kind of love. It's ministry and service kind of love. The world says, I love you because you love me. You meet my needs physically, emotionally, financially maybe, relationally. You make me happy and that's why I like you. But Jesus says, the Bible says, God has loved you. While you are still a sinner, actively, passionately, sacrificially, graciously, humbly, and that's why you love your brothers and sisters as I've loved you. Actively, passionately, sacrificially, humbly, graciously, no strings attached, no transaction, no return. Why? Because your return, your reward, reward comes not from the people you're trying to love but it comes from him who has loved you with a kind of love that no one can match you following me so if i have a problem with loving people or certain people what's my real issue first let's be real about the real problem your problem is not the people. It's with God. There will always be problems with people. As long as we're still sinners, there will always be problems with people, even the closest ones. But your problem ultimately is not the people. It's God. Listen to what our chapter, listen to what our verse says. Look at verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is what? A liar. Because he who doesn't love his brother who he can see... How is he going to love God who he can't see? And John is being very hard here, I think. He's saying some Christians say, oh, I really love God. I just don't like people. It's impossible to say that. It's self-contradictory. It's hypocritical. And John says it's a plain lie. You don't really love God. Look at verse 8 in our passage. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because why? God is love. He's saying if you're not loving this way, it's not just because of people. It's because you don't really know God. Not, not really. Not deep enough. The problem is not the person. The problem ultimately is my vertical relationship, not my horizontal. Ultimately. So what do I do about it? Here's what we do. We need intimacy. You know, many of you are married, maybe some of you are dating, even with your friends. You remember what it was like in the early stages. Uh, it was fun, the beginning of your dating, the beginning of your marriage. You, you, you focused on each other. 
uh, you talked a lot, you, you shared a lot, you cared a lot, right? You really got to know more and more about this other person who you've committed yourself to. Ten years, two years, three kids later, your wife is watching, you know, her phone upstairs texting and doing Instagram while the husband is downstairs watching TV and there's no connection at all anymore after all these years. And, and, and uh, you think everything's okay, but the intimacy is not the same. If you have children, you focus so much on your children just to raise them and to get them into college and get them out of the house. You focus so many years on them. You had no time to focus on each other. Uh, but, you, you know, you still talked a lot, but usually it's about taking care of family business. And, and then one day or maybe one week, the kids are off to camp, and now it's just you and, and your spouse. And the thing is, you've got nothing to talk about. We all believe, not just Christians, but everyone believes community is important. And the way we get community is we commune with each other. But part of that means we grow deeper with people beyond the superficial. When we commune with each other, we're, we're not just killing time. We are spending intentional time to grow intimacy, to grow. But here's the thing about Christian community. The way we begin growing and building our community it's not just when we commune with each other, but when we commune with him first. When we grow and learn about him, with him. Not just build more knowledge, but develop an intimacy with this God. Depending upon him relationally. Because the way that God wants you to love people is not natural. It's not natural. You struggle. I struggle to love this way. You need his help. Why did Jesus die? He has to save people from sin and judgment, but he didn't just die so you could escape judgment. He died so that you could live, be effective, passionate life for him by loving others. But it begins with him. Growing in an intimate personal knowledge of him. Growing in love for him. Here, here's why. Because you, you know what happens? When you start growing in your love for God, right, you start loving more the things that he loves. And friends, newsflash, he loves sinners. He loves sinners. So here's what we need to do. First, if you struggle with this, we need to pray that God would work in our hearts. Because this kind of loving, this Christian loving, is not natural, it's supernatural. We need his, we need his help. We need him to change our hearts towards other of his children. We need to ask him to create new affections or awaken the old ones that we used to have for his people. We need to pray. Second thing, we need to focus more on the spiritual reality and not just on the earthly frustration. There's a reason why we close our eyes when we pray. So we're not just focused on what we see in front of us. Because you ever notice, we can really like someone until we don't. And usually it's because of that one moment, because of that one sin, because of that one word, that one ongoing issue, we forget all the good things that we had with them. We just focus on the one thing. And now every time we see that person, that's all we see. We tend to focus almost always on the ways that we've been hurt and we've been disappointed. 
It's earthly frustration. But the spiritual reality is always different. And you know, I, I, I know I, the church knows, I, I've shared this before. I have a brother, but I also have a sister, and we haven't been getting along. Actually, not, I don't know, we, we don't even communicate. It's been eight years, right? Uh, she's a year younger than me. We're just black and white. You might like her more than me, some of you, but uh, on my birthday, after eight years, she texts me. She texts me, and she says, happy birthday. And my response, I'm going to be honest, my heart, my response, I was thinking, I was going to respond, who is this? <laughs> I know, it's nasty. But I didn't. You can be proud of me. <laughs> I didn't. I said, thank you. And then she replied, oh, we haven't talked in a while. I'm not sure what the reason is. And I was thinking, you're the reason. But I said, no, I'm not sure what the reason is. I didn't know you turned 50. Wow, congratulations. I was like, I'm only a year older than you. How old do you think I am? I'm 50. And so she's like, she's like, congratulations. So I, I responded again. And I said, thanks so much. And I said, hi, how are things going? So now we're back on talking terms. Right? Because the earthly frustration is what I see in, in my eyes. But the spiritual reality is this. We still have the same mother. We still have the same father. And, and my parents are, are slowly, you know, withering away. And one day, you know, we have the same father and mother. And that means she's still my sister. So I needed to try. And I did. But it takes effort. Oh, for me, it takes effort. The point is there's a greater reality to focus on. The person in the church that you just can't get along with, you have the same father. That means he's still your brother. She's still your sister. And that's where we need to focus. The third thing we need to do, not just pray, not just focus on the spiritual reality, not the earthly frustration, but third, Christian love is not an all-or-nothing thing. It's a growing thing, right? So in verse 12, John says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. That word perfected means it's, it's being perfected. It means it's growing. It's not perfect yet, but it's being perfected. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul says this, the love of each one of you towards one another grows ever greater. And that's good news for most of us because that means this, some, some of you, all of us, we may have some of that Christian love and be a real Christian, yet still not have enough of it. We might feel some affection towards someone, but also wrestle with some other negative emotions. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian because you can't love like this, but it means this. You've got to keep growing. You've got to keep growing. You've got to take another step. There's another level to move on to. And so we need to grow. And last but not least, and I'll end with this, John chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say people will know that you are my disciples when you love me. He doesn't say that. He says people will know you are my disciples, my followers, when you love each other. What does that mean? It means that when the church loves in a way that's different from the rest of the world, where everyone is more transactional, where everyone can be a little bit more manipulative, where we're asking, what can I get out of it? And here's an example of love that says here, I love you and no return. It, it's no strings attached. I love you because I've been loved to love you. And that's all there is. When the world sees that or when people see that, they might be asking, I don't know if God is real, but could it be real? Could he be real? Because what kind of God is it that would cause people to love in such a way? Actively, passionately, sacrificially, graciously, and humbly. What kind of God is it that they worship? So for his glory, for his renown, our passage ends with verse 21. This commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You've been loved to love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for being patient uh, with us. Um, many of us, especially on, on this side of the world, we may be jaded or a little more cynical about things um, and uh, what we experience and see in the world and we come into the church and, and maybe we don't see that much difference. Um, that's, Lord, something that we need to work on. That's something that shouldn't be. And even as something as simple and mundane and ordinary as talking about love ought to look a little more different, if not difficult. It's hard enough to love those that we like already, uh, but you've called us to go one step further. You, you've called us to love people we don't like. You've called us to love our enemies. And the only reason you can do that and say that to us is because we were once your enemies, and nevertheless, you loved us and gave your life for us. That ought to change my vision and perspective on how I see others. That is never just horizontal, but it also needs to be vertical. That if I'm struggling with the horizontal, maybe there's a problem with my vertical, my relationship with you, God. I don't really understand that. And so, Lord, we pray for your grace. We pray for your strength. We pray for patience and long-suffering and bearing, Lord, with not only our own issues, but the issues of those around us. 
and this is something we can't do on our own. We are not naturally prone to this. And so this is an area that we need to change. So grow our faith. Grow our understanding of you and the kind of love you show us and give us the kind of strength to obey you, knowing already that we have been rewarded with much to love others. And so, Lord, uh, help us to think about this, ponder this, pray for this. Help us, Lord, to consider more the reality of this and then apply it in our lives for your glory so that others might see that not only are you real, but you make a difference. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's respond.